Good morning. What do we do? Love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. Did I trick you? That went really fast today, right? And I was like, oh, they weren't even prepared for that. Uh, thanks for shouting that out. I love God and I love you. We are now down to the last two weeks of our series, walking through the book of Mark, titled simply Jesus, where we've just been taking a verse by verse. We didn't skip any except for a few in chapter 13 because we got jammed up for time. Uh, but, but we've been going on a verse for diverse journey through that. I hope you've been enjoying it. I have been. Uh, there's an exciting series coming up called Risk It, and like the first week is going to be incredible. That's in like not next week, but the week after, and uh, it's actually going to be a debut sermon uh, from uh, Pastor Jason, who's been uh, training and working, and uh, so he's going to not share the kids' corner. He's going to share the big kids' corner, so he's a little nervous. He's never talked to anyone that was older than him, and I told him, well, everyone is at least older, maybe double, possibly triple. So uh, just uh, stay tuned for that. I'm really excited. If you could pray maybe just a moment for him uh, at some point between now and the next two weeks. I am really excited. I've already w- looked over his outline. He's preparing well, and it's going to be fantastic. So I can't wait to start into that new series, Risk It, in just a couple of weeks. Would you join me? We're looking at uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, we just finished uh, the, the day before Jesus was getting... Uh, uh, instituting communion, and now we're in probably the most serious part of the entire Bible. And so would you turn in chapter 14? If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen below, or it's going to be uh, on our screens in person. So uh, Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying last week. He said, let's go. The time is here, and then this is what's happening. Now, just as Jesus uh, is speaking or finishing speaking, Judas, one of the 12, he appears. And with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. He said, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword, and he struck a servant of the high priest, cutting his ear off. And Jesus says, like, am I leading a rebellion that you have... uh, Come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him, and he fled. And a young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving the garment behind. Now, this is, this is a crazy scene in history. So let's deal with the crazy in order. So first, crazy first. Judas comes up and he betrays Jesus, the Son of God, with a kiss. Now this is the common Middle East kiss. It's a greeting of friendship that you share with family and friends. When you go up and meet them, it signifies that, hey, you can trust me. Hey, you're in a safe place. It's a a conveying of kindness towards that person. They'd go up and kiss him on the cheek. They still do it nowadays. And so this is that kind of... And Judas uses that kind of kiss as the signal for betrayal. Like, how messed up is that? The thing is supposed to be like a friend, kind, greeting, trust, and you use, that's the signal? You couldn't come up with something that, I'm just like offended that he would even use the the intimate moment of a kiss as the signal to betray Jesus. So the second crazy was was Peter. Uh, We know it's Peter, the guy who takes sword and cuts off someone's ear. Uh, The Gospel of Luke tells us it's Peter. Mark doesn't name him. So he, he goes all Braveheart for a moment. He's like, ah! And he's not even a very good fighter because all he does is cut the guy's ear off. And the guy's, ow, my ear, you know? 
And we, we know from also from the, the Gospel of, of Luke that, that Jesus picks up the ear and heals, miraculously heals the guy's ear, and he's like, stop, Peter, like, what are you doing? And so that's the second crazy moment. The third crazy moment we see here is these people come armed like with clubs and to, to like military arrest Jesus. But yesterday he was in the temple court teaching. And the day before, and the day before, and the day before. He said, you didn't have to come all the way out here. I was literally in the temple with you yesterday. And yet here you are at 2 a.m. Uh, or at, at midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 a.m. showing up here. Now the fourth b- the biggest crazy that I see in this passage, and I, sometimes I'm confused like why the Bible includes some things. I think the last crazy maybe should have been left out, except it's so crazy. So this guy was, some guy was following Jesus out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was in his pajamas, right? And so in the pajamas, they just wore like a long nightshirt, and that's it. And they, that was their underwear. And so at some point, the guards try to grab some people. They grab his, like, his linen garment, his undergarment here, and they tear it off, and the dude's naked, and he runs away. What on earth? That's so crazy. I don't like understand. I like laugh. I know you're not supposed to laugh. She's getting arrested, right? It's totally serious. It's bad. But there's this guy who got his linen garment yanked off and he's naked and he's like, ah, and he freaks out and he runs away. Like so crazy. And so at that point, all the disciples, they scatter and they run away uh, for their own safety. Now, a few of them, they, they kind of circle back to see what's going on from a distance. Now, none of them, None of them stood beside Jesus and said, look, I've given my life to this man. If he dies, I die. Not one. Not one of his disciples. All 12 disciples were there, plus some other guy's kid that gets naked or this young person or whatever. Like There there were multiple people that were there and nobody stood with Jesus. Peter's claim last week where he said, even if everyone falls away, I'll die for you. Nope. Didn't happen. So they took Jesus uh, to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. So after fleeing, Peter swings back around and he follows the arresters back to the home of the high priest. Now the high priest had convened a special trial at 2 a.m., but he seems to have only invited his like-minded friends. The, the rulers who were already against Jesus, those were invited to this 2 a.m. meeting uh, ultimately to arrest and condemn Jesus. So Peter finds himself in the outside courtyard. Now sometimes we're like, how could he be at this guy's house and they not notice him? Well, th- this is back in the day, and so housing was a little bit different. So this is almost like you would think of a housing complex. If you've ever been to a hotel, uh, you've been to a hotel, and I wouldn't say motel because it's not that sleazy, but this one was a really nice one, like a... Uh, it would have apartments and places to live all around, sort of in a U shape or in a, in a square shape. And in the middle, there would be a pool, and there would be fountains, and there would be a garden, and there would be all this kind of center space that, that people would live in and they would enjoy. It was like having an indoor, outdoor, outdoor kind of spaces. And they were totally huge. The richer you were, the bigger your home was, but it's probably more like a, a complex than a home. And so this is where the high priest lives. He lives, and his family lives there, and there's multiple chambers. And so it, it's not like... Uh, it, it would be like bigger than our campus here. So it would be like as if this church and there was another one on the other side and, and, and some buildings all around to live in and a center sort of space. And so that, that's why uh, there's the space to have guards and fires and that kind of stuff out in the courtyard of this guy's house. 
So the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they're looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they didn't find any. So many testified against him, but their statements didn't agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony again. They said, we heard him say that I'll destroy the temple made with human hands, and in three days he'll build another one not made with hands. Yet even their testimonies didn't agree. So even with the false testimonies, the people talking all kinds of crazy, they couldn't pin anything on Jesus because he hadn't done anything wrong. Then the high priest, he stood up and he asks, uh, stood up before them and he asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What's the testimony that these men are bringing against you? Jesus remained silent and he gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah? the Son of the Blessed One. I am, Jesus says, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest freaks out and he tears his clothes. He says, why do we need any more witnesses? He asks, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? See, the I am really hit him hard. If you'll remember with me, what is the name of God in the Old Testament? When he shows up to Moses and he says, uh, Moses says, like, what am I going to tell the people who you are? What's your name? And God says, I am. The, the Yahweh. And so when Jesus says this in response to their question, are you the son of God? Are you the Messiah claiming to have the power and equality with God? And his answer to their question is, no, it's not in Hebrew, it's in Aramaic, but he says, I am. Man, they know exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I am, like I am God. I am everything that you think I am. Uh, everything you're accusing me of thinking I am. Equal with God himself. And so this statement is the reason for his crucifixion. Now the crazy thing is that this would be blasphemy. They would be right. Blasphemy, you're speaking blasphemy except that it's true. And because it's true, it's not blasphemy. So first they react with self-righteous, melodramatic horror by tearing your clothes. That's the symbol. Or like, oh man, this is the worst thing ever. And so this was a symbol. <sighs> Terrible. They were demonstrating how offended they were. And then they act with abuse and brutality. See it here. So they condemn him as worthy of death for that statement. Then some people spit on him. And they blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists. And they said, prophecy. And the guards took him and they beat him. So the physical and the psychological abuse begins. They add insult to injury as they mock his supernatural claims. Prophecy. Oh, you think you're a prophet? Boom. Ha ha, you couldn't see who actually hit you. See the mockery there. Now these guys are the temple guards, not yet the Roman guards, who will continue that abuse later. Now Mark doesn't record a lot of it. Remember, Mark's this simple Jesus. He cuts it down to the bare bones minimum. And so the, the crown of thorns, the, the scourging with the whips, the, the continual beatings from the, the Roman guards isn't included at all in Mark's gospel. But this is the beginning of that sort of physical and psychological abuse to Jesus. While Peter was, so this was happening, but while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest, she came by. And when she sees Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. And she said, you were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she says. But he denies it. Well, I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And then he goes out to a different place towards the entryway. 
Then the servant girl saw him there, and she again said to those people standing around, hey, this fellow's one of them. And again he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, because you're a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, oh, I don't know this man, what you're talking about. Immediately the crow, uh, the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the, the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. And he breaks down and he wept. So the people, uh, as they're interacting with, with Peter, apparently they recognize his accent from obviously not being from this area. They say, like, you're from the north. You clearly look like you're from the north. You sound like you're from the north. You're from the Sea of Galilee for sure. And Peter's like, I ain't knowing what you'll be saying. And then the girl's like, um, like, obviously you're Galilean. Shiver me timbers, ain't no truth to that. Uh, okay, whatever you say. And then he starts swearing like a sailor. He actually is a sailor. Remember, he was a fisherman. So, uh, and, and like, what a crazy interaction like this kind of thing is. While the hostile men of authority were interrogating Jesus and his life is on the line, Peter faces a servant girl. But she was enough to make him deny Jesus in the face of that really threatening servant girl. But he not only denies him, but he calls down curses from heaven. Kids, earmuffs. Beep, 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 F, beep. Make God, beep. Calls down these curses from heaven. Like, overkill, bro. Then, then I sort of imagine it like a movie. There's this pause that happens after his third denial comes. The second crow of the rooster is about to go off. And, and the book of Luke tells us that at that moment, Jesus and, and Peter have eye contact from where Jesus is in the building. Jesus is either, remember, he's getting beat up, he's getting interrogated, all this kind of stuff. And at some point, Jesus looks out the window at that very moment. Peter looks up as he's calling down this curse from heaven. And the rooster crows twice, eye contact with Jesus. And it falls out of his mouth. da 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 in that moment, Peter calls to mind the word of Jesus that he had said to him, like he, he remembered. But, it, but it's too late. It was already after he had sinned. And then the Bible says that Peter breaks down and he weeps bitterly. We discover later that, that his sorrow will bring about repentance. And ultimately, his sorrowful heart will bring about restoration through Jesus. His failure would not be the last word for his life. So just a note here. Don't let the devil or the world try to define you by the worst moment at the worst time in your life. Because all of us will do Peter's. I look at this and I say, if that's the worst that he did, then I got you, man. <laughs> I got worse than that. And so do not let the world or the devil define you by the worst decision at the worst moment of your life. So moving here in the Bible, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin, they made their plans. So they bound Jesus and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. 
You've said so, replies Jesus. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, Pilate is a, is a Roman governor of the area. And the Jewish people bring Jesus to the Roman governor to pronounce sentence. Now, this detail that Jesus was brought to them very early in the morning is a really sort of important historical validation. Like, it's just a really tiny point. But, it, but the Romans' workday started at the break of dawn. I and mean, they were hardworking folks, the Romans. For all the good or bad that you think about them, their workday started the moment the sun rose. That's when it started. When, when a trial would happen, would happen at the daybreak. And so this sort of historical accuracy helps us, like, again, say, like, oh, it helps lend validity to the accuracy of the Bible. But I also think it's just an interesting point. They, they bring him right at the early dawn. That's why they had their trial at 2 a.m., still in the dark, right when day breaks, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, they bring Jesus before Pilate. Now, uh, we d- doesn't record all the other sending back to Herod, that sort of stuff. I had mentioned that earlier. Mark just avoids all that kind of stuff. So the Jewish leaders take Jesus to Pilate because they're not allowed to actually kill him because they've, they're an occupied nation, so they can't just willy-nilly go kill people. And that, so they're not exercising their own uh, legal justice because they're occupied. And so they have to go ask the occupiers, the Romans, to pronounce death sentence on this guy. And so they're saying, hey, Pilate, kill this guy. Um, Now, uh, the chief priests, they accuse him of a whole bunch of stuff, but Pilate doesn't bite. He's not dumb. And he's like, what's going on? That doesn't sound like death penalty stuff to me. And so after questioning Jesus, he sees no crime. And so this is what happens. Now, it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists. And uh, he'd also committed murder in the uprising. Now the crowd came up and they asked Pilate to do for them what they, uh, uh, and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. And he says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, Jesus? Uh, Asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Well, what should I do then with the one that you call the king of the Jews? Probably poking at them. Pilate asked him, crucify him, they shout. He's like, what? Why? What are you talking about? What crime has he committed? Says Pilate. They shout all the louder, crucify him. Now wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged, and he handed him over to be crucified. So that though Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, he has a politically explosive situation on his hands. Like the choice, his choices between doing what's the right thing by freeing an innocent person or doing what's politically expedient, execute a man to avoid trouble. Now, Pilate is certainly no friend of the Jewish rulers. He has to work with them, uh, so they control the people, but he's from the Roman side, so he has to work with them, but he's no friend of theirs. He could see through their duplicity and their manipulation, so he attempts to find a way to free Jesus. And he thinks he's found the loophole. He's like, oh, we release a prisoner at the Passover uh, to keep the people a little bit happy. So he says, which prisoner do you want me to release to you? And, uh, and he's assuming they're going to say Jesus, right? But they don't, they don't go for it. They're like, nope, we want the Barabbas guy instead. So what a crazy scene this kind of is, if you could picture it. Here's this, Pilate is known to be a really ruthless, cruel person. Like He's not a good guy. And so maybe in the story, he, doesn't, he seems maybe neutral a little bit, but, but he's not a good guy. He's cruel and ruthless. And so here we have this cruel, ruthless Roman governor trying to win the life of a miracle-working, like, nobody, Jewish guy, against the strenuous efforts of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, 
and like a crowd shouting to, so it's this really crazy scene. So he tries one last time to keep the people calm, but they continue to shout even louder and louder. And ultimately, look, the guy doesn't care about Jesus per se. He doesn't know him or really care. To him, he's just some Jewish nobody. So as the shouting of the crowd gets precariously close to rioting, he's like, fine, fine, fine. We'll just kill him. It doesn't matter. He's willing to sacrifice Jesus to keep the peace. So because if a riot happens, Pilate's in trouble. Uh, He's not the, the law of the land. He's just the governor. There are folks ahead of him. And the Roman, uh, his Roman bosses, they hate riots. They don't like chaos and riots because it, it takes away from control and it takes away from taxes. That's what the Romans want, control and taxes. You be calm, you pay your taxes, no problem. The moment these riots kind of start to happen, it just gets uncomfortable. They don't want more war. They want less war. They want the people to be subdued, that sort of stuff. And so uh, Pilate says, you know what, forget it. He acquiesces to these Jewish leaders and says, fine, we'll just kill Jesus. Well, that's a whole lot of crazy all this morning, I think. So what's really crazy among all of the crazy that we've seen in the the passages is something quite personal, I would say. The true crazy is Jesus' willingness to endure all of these things that we're looking at for me and for you. The book of Hebrews tells us a little bit about his motivation. Why the heck would Jesus do something like this? The Son of God, why would God do this and endure this? Well, here's what the author of Hebrews writes. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Here's the part. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. You are that joy. See, it was was your picture, your face that he had in mind that moved him to sacrifice. See, if no one in the world ever came to Jesus except you, he still would have done it. So next time, You start down that path, and and we all get there sometimes, of thinking that you're useless or thinking that you're worthless. Think back about how crazy Jesus loves you. Next time you feel alone or, or lonely, remember the crazy that Jesus endured so that he could be with you. Maybe next time life is kicking your butt and it seems overwhelming, be reminded that you have a Savior who gave his life for you. See, the true crazy about today's passage this morning is is how crazy it is that the God of the universe would endure all that we've been talking about just so you and I can have a relationship with him. That's pretty crazy. Now, let me suggest to you, as we finish up, three reasons uh, or three responses to that kind of crazy love that Jesus has for us. Now, these thoughts echo the thoughts of Charles Spurgeon, a, a pastor from a couple of hundred years ago on the same issue. So three responses that we should have as we think about this kind of crazy love that Jesus has for us. The first is we should stand strong in the face of of pain and humiliation. Willingly receive slander or ridicule for Jesus' sake. So don't worry or get upset if someone belittles you for your faith, and sometimes that happens. Don't worry if someone makes fun of you online for posting something Christian. Don't worry if someone makes fun of your Christianity. 
Jesus received greater mockery, yet he forgives those who mock. Look, if they spit on Jesus, then then why shouldn't they spit on you? If, If he took a beating, then it's okay for me to accept a beating. But you may lose your job for him. He lost his life for you. Shall your master have all the rough of it? Shall he accept all the bitter and we accept all the sweet? Is is a private in the army, a soldier, demand better than the general of the army? And so our first response is we should stand strong in the face of any humiliation, pain, or, or pushback. It's okay to expect that. The second thing we should do is we should be more diligent to praise Jesus. Look, if men were so eager to put him to shame, let us be ten times more eager and passionate to bring him glory. Is there anything that you can do or that we could do today to honor him? Then do it. Is there any sacrifice that you could make? Then make it. Can we perform any difficult task that would glorify him? Then don't deliberate about it or hem and haw. Just do it with all of your heart. Let the create, let, let, let's be creative, as creative in glorifying God as they were in creatively shaming God. And so let us be more diligent to praise Jesus all the more, exponentially more than those who tried to harm him. And the third thing we should do is we should walk in confidence. Since our debt has been paid in full, we are no longer a slave but free. The prophet Isaiah said this about Jesus. Now, this was way before Jesus. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Bam. We can live life knowing that Jesus paid it all for us. There's no debt left to incur. There's no humiliation. See, our position is secured in the sacrifice of our Savior. As it says right in that verse right there, by His wounds, we are healed. So I can walk in confidence knowing that I've been set free by Jesus' sacrifice for me. We've seen a lot of crazy things today, and most of them were for our benefit. We've seen how crazy is Jesus' love for each of us, and we've seen what crazy lengths that he would go to have us. So I'm going to invite you to just be a little crazy in our own worship back to him. Like just in this moment, there's some people here in our building. I would like to invite you to be crazy for Jesus in this response worship. I'm going to ask you to stand up in just a second and give him everything you've got. And now if you're at home, this is maybe even easier. I'm going to ask you to get up off your couch, out of your seat, or wherever you are, and just be a little crazy for Jesus. Let your response be equal to the, to the sacrifice that he made. Now, we can never measure up to that, but, but how about we just say, you know what, Jesus, you deserve a little bit of my passion, a little bit of my give back. And so let's get a little bit crazy in response to his crazy love for us. Would you stand with me and worship in response?